Kyle is a bold preacher of the gospel. He speaks vulnerable and honest and truthful messages about God, about who we are in God. He is the creator of the, of the app Shut Up Devil, and he's a great man who loves New Beginnings, who loves God, and we here at New Beginnings love Kyle. And I believe he has a message this morning that is going to truly bless each and every one of us. So can we give a long, long, awesome, warm round of applause for Kyle Winkler? What a mighty God we serve, right? Give Jesus some mighty praise this morning. Come on, church. Give Jesus some praise. That's right. Oh, it's so good to be back here at New Beginnings. I always love my time here. It's been a year. Can you believe that? Since I was last here. The time goes by so fast. You know, you guys have it so good here. Do you, do you know that? Yes. I mean, you guys have a great pastor, great pastoral team, a great place, a loving community, right? And you all just always make me feel so welcome. And I was telling your pastor last night, it just feels like family every time I come back. And that, that's something special. So thank you so much. You know, I got to celebrate my 38th birthday with you all as well on Friday. So that was pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. And it's funny because I turned 38 and I had to ask the church for a stool when I speak. No, seriously, I, I injured my back a little bit. I don't think it's from too much backsliding, but i um, <laughs> been dealing with a little back pain, and I'm in, kind of in the end of some physical therapy, and so I'm going to try my best to sit and stand throughout. We'll see how I do. It's a little bit challenging for me sometimes to, to sit down when I get passionate about things, but we'll try. But let's pray and get into this message, shall we? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with my friends and family here at New Beginnings. God, I pray that this word would just speak so uniquely. Would your Holy Spirit translate it so that it would just be more than information, but it would be application and revelation that we would walk out of here healed and delivered and changed and free. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I was sitting in a movie theater a few years ago, probably five or seven maybe, when I was watching one of those movies depicting the crucifixion of Jesus. And from the very beginning of the movie, there was this just really annoying crackling throughout the speaker system. And 15 minutes in, I was like, all right, this is enough of this. I'm getting up and I am going to tell a manager and get my money back or a voucher for another movie or something. So I got up and I got to the edge of the row when all of a sudden something stopped me. It was a word, just popped into my mind. And all I heard was, my story is always told through imperfect speakers. I went back, I sat down, and I shut up. <laughs> I didn't have much to say after that. I probably got more out of that word than I did the whole movie, but certainly that word has come back to me time and time again. My story is always told through imperfect speakers, especially as I've been out fulfilling the call of God in my life and in ministry and Inevitably, there are times where I feel like, oh, I'm not ready enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not enough of this to do this. You know, if you could hear a replay of my life's prayers, and probably yours too, I realize I've been doing this for long enough that a lot of us deal with the same stuff, but you'd hear a lot of, how can I, Lord, when I don't have the money? How can I, Lord, when I don't have the connections? How can I, Lord, when I am not ready enough and fixed enough and perfect enough. Anybody relate to that? 
Anybody prayed like that before? Yeah. But for years I tried to be because I thought that that is what God required of me. I thought that the goal of the Christian life was to get better and better and better and better and better and perfect or at least next to perfect. And so I tried, but I don't know about you, but for me, the harder I tried, it seemed like the worst that I did. But I tried. Because there are these verses in the Bible that seem like that's what God wants from us. And so we'll go through one of them here because really when you understand one of these, you kind of understand the rest of them that sound similar to this. We'll look at Matthew 5.48. It's Jesus speaking here and it's part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that before. And he says it so blatantly, it seems like, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I mean, that sounds like that's what God wants from us is perfection. And so how do I explain that? Well, like anything in the Bible, context is key. You know, with a book the size of the Bible, you could get it to say anything you want it to say if you don't know the context. And Jesus was speaking here, and the Bible is written certainly to certain groups of people at specific times for specific reasons. And yes, the miracle of Scripture is how God takes all of that and then applies it to our lives, but really it's applied to our lives best when we know what it was originally applied to. And so as I said, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he's speaking to a Jewish audience. A Jewish audience that had lived lifetimes of trying to obtain godliness and favor and trying to please God based upon their performance and based upon their sacrifices and living up to really 613 Mosaic laws and a bunch of rabbinic laws on top of that. So what Jesus is doing, if you read throughout his Sermon on the Mount so much, is he is challenging their sense of self-righteousness, ultimately getting them to realize that you can't do this. You cannot obtain godliness in and of yourself, in and of your own perfection. And so we see kind of what he's getting at if we go back a few verses here into the context of this verse. Jesus says in 43, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. So they had the loving people like them down, but what Jesus was getting at here, that word enemies there in the, in the Greek is a word to mean anybody different than you, like culturally, religiously, and politically. Uh-oh. Anybody different than you. And this was a huge message to a people that really thought that their standing with God was all about not interacting with Samaritans and not touching the lepers. Oh, so they thought that they were someone. They thought that they had arrived to this sense of godliness by all this stuff that they did. And Jesus is saying, it's not about that. If, if you really, truly want to show yourself as a true child of your Father in heaven, he says in verse 45, then it's going to be seen in how you love people. Amen. Amen. Yeah, come on. But another clue here is in that word perfect as to what he's meaning. It's the Greek word teleos, which is a root word of what Jesus said on the cross when he said, it is finished. That's the word tetelestai, mission accomplished. Teleos is really mature. He's saying you want to mature into godliness, you're going to mature into the heart of God, which is for people, loving people. 
Now, boy, does the devil have a lot of us Christians so hoodwinked when we make perfection or holiness out to be about vanity and about what we do and don't do and what we eat and don't eat and what we drink and don't eat and how much we boycott. Because in doing that, we actually become further from the heart of God, further from what Jesus was getting at because we actually become judgmental, right? Come on. And I can say that because I was one of them. I thought for years, I've told you this before, that I was the part of the holiness police. <laughs> Especially in my college years and a little bit after, I just thought it was my job to make sure everybody lived up to God's standards. And really, that was because I didn't have much love for me, so I couldn't have much love for anybody else. So I thought God required all of this stuff from me, so therefore, He requires it of you, and I was going to make sure that you knew it and help you do it. Didn't win me many friends or influence there. So what Jesus is saying here is, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Your greatest goal, if you're going to have one, and you're not even going to be perfect in this, so don't go making a law out of this and get condemned because you're not loving people as much as God does. I mean, His nature is love. All right? But if you're going to have a goal, Jesus is saying, mature into the heart of God for other people. Now, believe it or not, I have taken some heat from some armchair theologians on social media over a message like this. One lady almost blew a gasket. She said, stop commonizing God. He is holy. Of course. I didn't say anything against him being holy. I'd never say that. God is holy, and yes, he wants us to be holy. But if you think holiness is all about dressing like you've come off of a covered wagon, then you're missing the point. And if you think holiness is related to anger and rage and wrath, then you really don't know what holiness is. Holiness means uncommon, set apart. And I don't know about you, but I've kind of realized that it's not all that uncommon, especially these days, for people to be mad. I live in central Florida in the Orlando area, and we have this thing. Some of you may have driven on it on your way to the House of Mouse or something like that, but it's called I-4. And it didn't take me long to realize that rage is not uncommon. What is uncommon is us loving that idiot who cuts us off. I'd say that the holiest thing about God is his nature of love. The most uncommon thing about God maybe is how he loves people despite what seems unlovely about them. So if we want to demonstrate holiness, it's about how we love people, not about how flawless we are. But another reason that what Jesus is talking about here, that perfection isn't about flawlessness, is because he came to this earth. What do I mean by that? Jesus came. Didn't Jesus come to model the perfect sinless life so that we would follow that? Well, yes, Jesus lived sinless, but he didn't come to raise the bar. Religion raises the bar. Do you understand that? Religion says you've got to do and do and do and do and do more to please and appease God, really. And as I said earlier, that's 
what those Jewish people were living under for so long, 613 laws on top of a bunch of interpretations of interpretations of interpretations that became rabbinic law. So when Jesus said that verse that we love to quote, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, that's the rest that he's talking about because the people were so burdened by all of these do's and don'ts that they could not possibly do in and of themselves. And so Jesus is not adding a whole bunch more that you have to follow. What he's doing is he's meeting the bar for you. Amen. That's why in Matthew 5.17, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses. I came to fulfill it. I came to accomplish its purpose. I came to meet the bar because I knew you couldn't. Amen. And it's a simple question that I ask people often, and it kind of confounds the why sometimes, but if behavioral or situational perfection were possible, then why did Jesus die? I mean, if that's what makes you right with God and pleases God and all of that, then, then why did Jesus have to come and be the sacrifice? He came because he knew you couldn't do it in your flesh. He knew willpower was not enough. It didn't work for all of those years leading up to him. He knew it wasn't going to work, so he came to do for you what you can't do for yourself. He came to live up to the bar for you. Are you getting this? Amen. But if you don't know that, and you should because your pastors preach this. But if you're like I was and it's not gotten from your head to your heart, then you will spend your time, talent, and treasure trying to prove something that Jesus already proved, trying to do something that Jesus already did, trying to be someone that Jesus already made you, and you will just about die trying. You will frustrate yourself to no end because you're trying to do something that's impossible to do in your flesh. You're trying to do something that Jesus came because he knew you couldn't do, which is why the Bible says to find your completion in Christ. Amen. Amen. God's story is always told through imperfect speakers because that's all he's got. And I'm not just talking about the person sitting next to you either. Like, we're all that way, right? Amen. And because we're all imperfect, Jesus came, as I said, and he came so that our imperfections no longer stand against us, no longer count us out, no longer limit us, no longer define us. If you want a verse that shuts up the devil and shuts down condemnation and guilt, I've got one here for you. 2 Corinthians 5.19. It's the heart of the gospel right here. Paul is talking about what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and he says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. You could replace that word sins. It means anything that's not God's best. You could replace that with imperfections and weaknesses and inadequacies and flaws and all of those things that we hate about ourselves sometimes. And you could reread that and say God was in Christ reconciling the world himself, no longer counting people's imperfections, weaknesses, inadequacies, flaws, failures against them. And then he goes on. I love this. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. It means restored relationship with God. Before you put your faith in Jesus, there was a sin nature that you had that kept you separated relationally from God. But when you put your faith in Jesus, that sin nature, the Bible says, was cut out of you. You were made right with God. Amen. Amen. And so all of that stuff then 
in and of your flesh is no longer counted against you because now you've been put in right standing with God as of, because of nothing to do with you, because of a gift of God's grace. Now, some real religious people, and I know there's not any of you in here like that, but some real religious people will like to show me their butts and say, but, 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 but. But I say, but nothing, because this is like the message of the entire gospel. This is not one isolated verse. This is like a theme all throughout. This is the message that the angels announced in Luke 2, 14, when Jesus was born, when they said glory to God in the highest and on earth peace between God and people, they were announcing that the one that came to restore relationship with God was here. This is the message that John the Baptist proclaimed at the baptism of Jesus in John 1.29 when he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying, he who is here who makes our sins, who makes those things that stood against us one time no longer count against us. He is here who has made those things that they don't limit us, they don't define us, they don't mean anything about us anymore. Now, I'm not saying that God winks at our sin and I'm not saying that this is a license to sin. Please don't hear that in this. What I am saying, though is that this is a license to be loved as a human being who every day falls short of the glory of God. And I say we all need a message like that, right? Can we get humble here and say we all need a message like that? What Jesus came to bring, what his grace provides, is permission to be a human being, which is permission to be a work in progress, which is permission to be imperfect. And really... When you look all throughout the Bible, not just in the New Testament, but the Old Testament too, you see God's character of how he chooses and uses people in ways that people wouldn't choose and use people all the time. Like he uses famously flawed people over and over and over again, and not just flawed in their own decisions, but also flawed culturally. I mean, you look at your favorite Bible heroes, and they're all imperfect people that we marvel at, because somehow through their imperfections, God did the impossible through them. And, you know, we could look at David. He might be one of the best examples, at least of a cultural kind of imperfection because he was the youngest born, which meant he wasn't really entitled to anything. No inheritance. He shouldn't have been selected according to culture in that time to be the king of Israel. But yet God passes over all his older brothers and selects him to be the king. In doing so, God says, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Amen. I said, God looks at the heart. Amen. Moses, God said, I want you to help free my people from the Egyptians. And Moses said, no, I can't, I can't, Lord, because I, I, I don't talk right. And God didn't send him to speech therapy to get better before he could use him. God said, go, I'll be with your mouth. Gideon's one of my favorite stories because Gideon was a self-described weakest person in his tribe who God said, I want you to go rescue my people from enemies called the Midianites and God appeared to him whenever he was in hiding from the Midianites and he said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And he said, I want you to go and help rescue my people. And Gideon had to be like, whoa, who, me? Couldn't be because I am the weakest person in my tribe. And God didn't say, go get strong enough. Now, Gideon tried to do that. He built this huge army of 30-some thousand warriors, but God actually made him winnow down the warriors. But ultimately, God said, I want you to go in the strength that you have. He said, go, I am sending you. Like who you are as you are. 
And those are just a few examples from the Old Testament. How much more does God do this? Now that we're on the other side of the cross, now that we live in the benefit of Jesus who came so that God no longer counts this stuff against us, maybe that's why we see Jesus choosing and using a bunch of outcasts and misfits as his disciples to help change the world upside down. Think of Peter. He was a fisherman. Fishermen back then were rough, gruff, vulgar, hot-tempered people, they say. Jesus knew all that. He chose him out of that. He said, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. That was his destiny. And yes, Peter dropped everything and he followed Jesus. And yes, he had a change. He had a change of heart. He had a change of passion, change of interest. Yes, there was a definite change in him, but he didn't just change into being perfect from then. On his way to his destiny, he made a lot of mistakes. His humanity showed up time and time and time again. I mean, he misunderstood parables. He was one that argued who was going to be the best in the kingdom. He fell asleep when Jesus was praying. He started to sink. His faith started to sink when he was trying to walk on water. He famously denied Jesus three times. Denied knowing Jesus three times. I mean, we could go on and on, but still... Peter became the person on the day of Pentecost, that fisher of men. He became that destiny that Jesus spoke into him when he rose up on the day of Pentecost and preached a salvation message where 3,000 people were added in one day. His imperfections did not count him out. Amen. All throughout the Bible, God chooses people based on grace. He establishes people based on grace. He empowers people with his grace. Amen. And he does the same today. Amen. He hasn't changed today. If I can be a little bit vulnerable here, and I don't say what I'm about to say just to provoke any kind of response out of you, but there have been times in, in my life in ministry, especially in the early years, when I had looked around at the, the places that I came out of and the, the churches and the different people groups that I came out of, and I said to God, I said, God, surely out of all of those people, there would have been a better person for you to choose to be in this ministry like to lead this unique ministry that God has given me. I almost felt, felt embarrassed or ashamed that God chose me. I'm like, surely there would have been a little bit more of a normal person, a little bit more of a, a mainstream person for you to use, God. And he since showed me why he uses flawed people, especially sometimes, which I'll get into here in a few minutes. But, but I say that because I think there are some of you in here. Some of you that battle discounting thoughts about yourself too. There are some of you in here that are almost embarrassed or ashamed that God chose you for the job and you for the role and you for the life instead of somebody else and you kind of live with this imposter syndrome type of thing. Some of you have said to God, surely you, would have, you should have chosen a, a less flawed person to be the parent to my children. Or surely, God, you, you should have cho chosen a less flawed person to be the child to my parents. Some of you have even discounted yourself from even pursuing the, the call or the role or the dream or the life or the promise because you say, God, with everything that I've been through, with everything that I still deal with, why would you waste your grace on someone like me? And I'm here to say that it's precisely because of God's grace that he would choose and use somebody like you, right? It's precisely because of it. When God chooses people, he doesn't look at their past. He doesn't look at the family that they came from. He doesn't look at any of those things that people look at. 
just like everybody else in Scripture. God chooses based on grace. He establishes on grace. He empowers with grace. And I'm talking to you, you with the past of pain and promiscuity. I'm saying that God chose you. I'm saying you who deal with difficulties and differences, disabilities that have made you question if you belong or made you feel like you're somebody who is wrong, I'm saying that God chose you. You who have believed all your life that you weren't wanted, God chose you. You who have believed that you don't have what it takes. You who have been told that you don't have what it takes to succeed or whatever, God chose you. Amen. And some of you are still thinking, why would God do something like that? And I'm saying, why wouldn't God do something like that? If what the angels announced at Jesus' birth was true, if what John the Baptist said was true, if what Jesus came to do was really done and it was, that he made it so that our sins and our imperfections are no longer counted against us, then why wouldn't God do something like that? Amen. Romans 3.22. Love this verse. It says we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, sounds so simple, right? It is. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And I love how it goes on. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. If you've said yes to Jesus, hear me. If you are a believer, you are as right in God's sight as that person that didn't have the traumatic past. You are as right in God's sight as that person that had the perfect family history or looks like they have the picture-perfect family today. You are as right in God's sight as that person that doesn't have those symptoms or those struggles. Are you with me? Yes. I'm saying if you've said yes to Jesus, then we all stand on level ground. I'm telling you that Christ writes you despite you. And if you will allow God to love you through those things that you think aren't right about you, if you will allow God to heal the shame of those things that you've hated about yourself, then I am telling you, trust me, I've lived this. I am telling you that God will use those things that you think count you out to count you in. He'll turn those things into your unfair advantage. You know, you can be more impactful with your so-called imperfections than if you didn't have any. Because first of all, a lot of things that you think are imperfect about you are actually part of God's design for you. They've just caused you some grief and maybe rejection in your history, and so you're thinking, oh, this can't be God. But if you will learn to lean into those things, they will become your unfair advantage. For years, I hated my personality. I've told you before that I'm a natural introvert, and so I thought in doing this that God's called me to do and speaking to people that I could not be like that, and so I had to change it, and I had to bind and rebuke and cast out every spirit of introversion that I thought that I had. Go in Jesus' name. Until I realized that this is how God made me. And there's actually a benefit to it. Sure, I might not be the life of the party always, and it might not always make me a comedian preacher, but it does make me mine for deep insights that I hope come out in my speaking and in my writing. Amen. But even in those things that, that God didn't design for us, those things that are a product of the fallen world, even those things, God will clean and redeem and use. I think about a friend of mine that has like a high level of ADHD, and before he was diagnosed with it, I think in college or something, 
his professors used to say, do you have a learning disability? And he thought that got in the way of doing what he does today, which is being a high school teacher. So he got medicated and he did what he needed to do, I guess, but it still didn't make him the best at creating lesson plans, much less following them, but yet in his weakness he went. And he went on to be a very creative and out-of-the-box teacher that the students love and named Teacher of the Year for his entire school district. And I'm convinced in his case that he's far more impactful with his so-called imperfection than without them, and it's the same for you. You look at anybody that's really achieved any level of success, and you'll find it's often when they've finally leaned into those things, finally got okay and got happy about those things that they once hated about themselves, that God used those things and, and just worked his power through them. But also, if you, if you really want to have a chance of having the heart of God like we talked about earlier and loving people as closely as he does, then as a human being, there's really nothing better than leaning into your imperfections because they tend to give you compassion. You know, you look at even, even Jesus. You know, he was sinless, as I said, and he didn't do anything wrong, but the Bible does say he felt things that we feel. He knew what it was like to be hated and persecuted and hungry and angry. He knew the plight of being human. He came to understand that. And so, in one of the stories, Jesus is teaching and a crowd approaches him and it says that compassion rose up in him when he saw the people because he understood what it was like to be a person. So compassion rose up in him and that compassion led him to heal. That's what compassion does. That's where ministry comes out of. That's where deliverance and breakthrough for people comes out of is when compassion can rise up. And it's not because you've been through everything that they've been through. It's not because you have the same story as they have always, but it's because you have a story, hello? Amen. And when I finally surrendered my holiness police badge and stopped trying to fix everybody with a bunch of do's and don'ts and just started to extend the grace and the love of God for people wherever they are, that's when God started to work through it. And that brought me a new level of ministry because it brought me down to the level of struggling and hurting people where ministry really happens. But also, God's goodness and power can be seen through your imperfections like nothing else. We have this story in 2 Corinthians 12 that's befuddled Christians for many years, including myself, where the Apostle Paul is talking about all of these just incredible things that he had been through, these supernatural things that he'd seen being caught up into heaven, like awesome stuff that I'd love to experience and write some books about because that would make some great bestsellers, I'm sure. But Paul said, though, though they're worthy to be talked about, and they are, they're great faith builders, he said, I'm not going to boast in those things. Instead, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. And then he talks about this thing called a thorn in the flesh and the church at large has gotten this wrong for many years. It's not something that God gave him. It's a messenger of Satan is what the Bible says and that could, that could be anything from a coworker to a mother-in-law. I mean, we don't know quite what it was but three times the Bible says that Paul begged God to take it away and all three times God replied, grace, my grace is all you need. And I said to the Lord one time, how can that be? Wouldn't it be more miraculous and wouldn't it be a better testimony if you would just take it away, like instantly? And God said, Kyle, my grace 
is equally as miraculous as the removal of everything. I said, how, Lord? Why? And he said, because grace in weakness is the miracle of my perfect presence entering human imperfection, giving them a strength to press through what the enemy meant to subdue. That's a miracle right there. God's perfect presence, almighty God entering human imperfection, living in us and among us, giving us strength to press through what the enemy wants to hold you down with. Sometimes we hear grace and it's an inspirational word that we don't know what to do with, but if you don't know what to do with it, then you're on the right track because it's not about what you do. Grace is being right with God despite your weakness and grace is also God's empowerment despite your lack of power. In other words, it is showing up as you are who you are, surrendered to God and let, letting him work through who you are. And yes, I love great testimonies of instant stuff. I believe for that and contend for that, of course, but I'm also equally as impressed these days by people like Gideon and Moses, people who persevere through things that don't go away, people who remain obedient to God through trials and difficulties that still remain. Because I also think that that's just a little bit more relatable than if everything was taken away instantly. And what that does is that shows other imperfect people like ourselves that the same God that upholds us, the same God that loves us through will also uphold them and love them through what might not seem right about them or might be difficulty to them too. Grace, God says, my grace is all you need. So I came to to bring you a sigh of relief. I hope that this has been a sigh of relief for you. You can let yourself off the treadmill. You can let yourself out of the, the condemnation of, of trying to be perfect and please God with perfection. God's not requiring it of you because Jesus met that bar for you. Let him live his perfect life through you, if anything, but let him love you as you are. That's the main thing. Let him love you, and I'm telling you, that will give you more strength and healing and deliverance than anything else that you can do. Amen. Jesus came to give you permission to be a human being, permission to be a work in progress, permission to be imperfect. He's not surprised by you. God's not surprised by your two steps forward, three steps back journey. He's not even surprised by your two steps forward, three or four or five or six or seven steps back journey. He knew what he was getting when he formed you. And hear me, what you think isn't right about you doesn't change God's mind about you. Now the devil, heads up, the devil will always try to tell you that it does. It's all he's got. If you're a Christian, if you are a believer, that's all he's got. Really all his power in you now is the power of persuasion. He can't change God's mind about you, so he tries to change your mind about you. And that's it. Don't let him. Spiritual warfare simplified. Devil can't change God's mind, so he tries to change yours. Don't let him. And really, all of my shut up devil stuff and my app and my new shut up devil book, all of that, that, that really is the message encapsulated. So when the enemy comes and tries to say, you're too much of this or you're too little of that, you're not ready enough, you're not good enough, you're not fixed enough, you're not perfect enough, well, you gotta remember, 
And if, if there's anything that you leave with, I want you to remember this. The current version of you, because of Jesus, because of grace, the current version of you is qualified for what God currently asks of you. The current version of you is qualified for what God currently brings you to. The current version of you is qualified for whatever God calls you to. The current version of you is qualified for whatever God has for you. Every healing, every deliverance, every blessing, every promise. Come on, church, you guys know this verse. In Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen, amen right? Do you believe that and receive yes. that this morning? Give God some praise. Come on. It's good news. That is the gospel message, the good news. Really, that, that word there for gospel is actually news too good to be true. And it is. Sometimes it sounds too good to be true, but it is true. Now, in just the last couple minutes here as we close, I just want to minister a word to you. Just so personally. A lot of times we think our imperfections keep God from loving us. And as I said a few minutes ago, it is the love of God that will do more in you than anything else. I mean... You want to be strong, you want to grow, you want to heal, all of that stuff. Let yourself be loved by God. And none of you gets in the way of that. So God gave me something a couple years ago that he called a love letter. He said, a love letter addressed to you. And I said, to me? And he said, yes, to you, but through you. I want you to give it to my people. So if you just put yourself into a ready posture to receive... Like close your eyes. Some of you might want to extend your hands. Whatever you need to do to get yourself into a ready posture to receive. I want you to hear these words from, from the Lord for you. Somebody said last night that hearing this was like just being in a room alone with God. And I pray that's the case for you. There's a lifetime of healing in this, I believe, if you'll take this in. To you, God says, my child. Before you took your first innocent breath in this temporary home. And before the news of your coming was ever known, before you were formed, I knew you, I knew all about you, and I loved you. You were always my idea. When I considered the uniqueness you would bring and what it would offer my world, I made a choice to orchestrate your existence. So I spoke, let there be you. And I'm happy that I did. Every feature and shape, the precise way your face creases when you smile, how I love that smile. The sound of your laugh and the passions you pursue, those aren't quirks, they're qualities, qualities I crafted to make you, you. But what I love the most, why I made that consequential choice to bring you to life, it's far more than anything you can do. It's the sound of your voice. Every word you confide, every struggle you share, every mess you confess. I look forward to those precious, tender moments when our hearts connect. My child, I love you you and all the words in a million love letters cannot adequately express what that means you'll find out more in time but for now know that there is nothing you can do to change my mind I love you and I'm so glad you're here with me love your father God now with all eyes continue to be closed if there's anybody in here that you've never known Jesus and his love for you as Savior, like you've never said yes to Jesus, what we call salvation or being born again, 
You know, just as I read from Romans 3.22, the Bible says anybody who believes, puts their faith in Jesus, that he died for their sin is made right in God's sight. If you've never put your faith in that, would you just slip your hand up quickly? I just want to pray with you. Is there anybody in here? Anybody in here at all that says, I want to walk out here knowing I am made right with God. Knowing that my old self and that sin nature is cut out of me and that I am made right with God. Anybody in here at all? I see your hands, yes. Just pray with me. Say, God, I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you that he died for my sin. I thank you that he resurrected to give me new life. Father, fill me with your spirit now that I would walk in that new life. Help me every day to love like you and to be loved by you. I declare that I am made new and made right, made whole, and made holy. I am saved in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Let's give God some praise. Welcome to the family of God. If you prayed that for the first time, welcome. Welcome to the family of God. And you have a great family here that loves, would love to love you and be part of your life too. Now, let me just help tell you how I can help you beyond this message here. My new book, Shut Up Devil, just came out in April. We still have some copies in the back that we didn't ship up enough, unfortunately for some reason, but there still are some back there. This book is all about shutting down the 10 lies behind every battle you face. If I have learned from my life and in ministry, a lot of the insecurity, anxiety, and mind games and stuff that we deal with comes down to what we believe. Comes down to these lies that we've been told in here. So this is gonna help you shut down those things. And I'd love to sign it for you. Also have my Think on These Things journal. We ran out of these last year, but we've got these back. And this helps you apply God's design for your mind in a very practical way for 30 days so that you, you really grow in confidence and courage. And those are back there too. And if nothing else, I'd just love to meet you back there. So Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here once again. Would you help us to walk out of here with a new level of boldness, knowing that because of what Jesus did, we are made new and made right and made whole and made holy. May nothing come against that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much again, New Beginnings. It's always a pleasure. God bless you. Hello, church. Do you guys get something out of that today? Can we give Kyle one more round of applause? So anytime we have a guest speaker, we love to take an offering to them because we love to sow into their ministry. So if you'd like to give an offering for Kyle, you can give online or you can give with an envelope. We'll have buckets at the back of the sanctuary where we can sow into his ministry. First, we want to thank Kyle for what he did today. But secondly, when we sow into our guest minister's ministry, we're sowing into their plan or God's plan for their life so that when they have a harvest, we take part in that harvest. So again, if you'd like to take an offering, um, you can either use an envelope or you can give online. If you did pray that prayer for the first time, please come up to the front. And remember, go out to the lobby, say hi to Kyle. Look at his stuff and say thank you. Amen? Have a great day.